So tonight we are on 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just go through the first eight verses. This is 2 Timothy. We just finished up 1 Timothy. It's a letter from Paul to Timothy. And there's a time lag or time difference between 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, what is believed is that Paul, upon concluding 1 Timothy sometime after that, they believe that he actually got out of prison for a little while and then was taken back. So in 2 Timothy, he is actually in prison, uh, writing this letter from prison. It's a prison epistle of uh, Paul, and you'll see some evidence of that. When someone is in prison and possibly expecting to be killed, there's some urgency and some passion about them. Uh, so we'll see that in this uh, particular uh, book of the Bible. So let's read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Why, why was Paul an apostle? It wasn't because he wanted to be one. He might have wanted to be one, but that's not why. He was an apostle because it was God's will for him to be one. I think I could say that I'm a pastor because of God's will, because I really didn't want to be one. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord always wins those battles, doesn't he? <laughs> not that I, I mean, I, I love ministry, but uh, that was not my heart's desire to just do ministry. Uh, but it is a call of God that I have. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So if you look at that verse, Paul is thinking about life. Why? Because he's close to death, right? When you get a little closer uh, to your life ending, then you start thinking about death, but also what has your life been like? What are the things that have happened? What are the uh, good and the bad of your life. And so that's kind of where we see Paul as we look at this uh, chapter, but also this book of the Bible. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In Paul's introduction here, there's an immediate uh, introduction as an apostle. An apostle is simply a sent one. That's all an apostle means. He sent one. So he is sent by the will of God wasn't his ambition, wasn't his choice, it was God's choice, right? And according to the promise of life, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, if you look that up, Paul is talking about how his life has been poured out like a drink offering, that it's about to be poured out like a drink offering. And so he is alluding to his him being executed by the Roman government him dying there. So uh, we see that. And if your life is about to be taken from you, we know that it suddenly becomes very precious. We don't really think about life, do we? I mean, we don't think that much about, we get up and we start going along and we don't really think, oh, well, this is another day. I've been blessed with life today. We don't think like that unless we know that something could happen. So that's, that's how we see uh, what's going on with Paul here. 
Matter of fact, you could, I've not been blessed to do that. I have gone to Israel, to the promised land there, but I have not been to Rome. And if you were to go to Rome today, you could actually see the place that they believe that Paul was uh, in prison. It's not much to look at. It's a cold uh, dungeon, a cave in the ground. And he was, his food was simply just probably just dropped into him because there's, there's not a big entryway uh, to that particular cave. No windows in it, just a cold cell. Imagine. Try to put yourself in that place. Wouldn't be very pleasant, would it? But here is some of the best writing and most inspired writing by the Apostle Paul when he's close to death and he's in a cold, dark dungeon uh, and God is, has allowed him to write. That's a blessing that God saw to it that he was able to write during that time frame uh, to give us this perspective. So he's writing to Timothy. Let's read verses 2 through 5. 2 Timothy verse one, chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. To Timothy, a beloved son. We talked about this in uh, 1 Timothy. But that's what Paul thought of Timothy, like a son. Not just any son, but I mean, he really loved Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. A few weeks ago, I preached from this passage when we were out on the property uh, about Paul and Timothy's relationship. So uh, it's kind of still in my, in my mind there. So Timothy is Paul's beloved son. Not related by blood, but related by in a, in a spiritual sense. I mean, that, was, that you and I are related. Right? We're related as uh, spiritual follow followers of Jesus Christ. We're a, a part of this body, this local body, and so uh, we're related, whether by blood or not. We don't look too much alike, some of us, but, uh, you know, we're related. And, uh, uh, you know, many times we're just as close with our church family as we are uh, with our, you know, natural and biological family. So uh, that's a great blessing from the Lord. And Paul... Here is telling to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. That's his greeting to him. It's kind of similar to some of the greetings that he gave in uh, many of his other epistles. But how many uh, would agree that we need grace and we need mercy and we need peace, right? Uh, for sure. And, and uh, Paul was, uh, by speaking that, he was ministering that to Timothy, who is his mentee. Paul's a mentor, and Timothy is a mentee. So, how often did Paul pray for Timothy? Without ceasing. Without ceasing. And that didn't mean just one time a day, did it? What did he say? Day and night. That's a lot of praying, isn't it? 
So that's a lot of praying. Of course, we could say, well, you know, Paul was in prison, so he didn't have a lot of other things to do, which is true, but it's still hard. Have you ever been in a dark place in your life? I'm going somewhere with this. So how many knows it's sometimes harder to pray in that atmosphere at that time than any other time? We, we have to underscore that Paul is still praying for Timothy, even in the darkest and the bleakest times of his life, because he loved him. He's like a son to him, right? Uh, and so uh, we can certainly take a lesson from that, that uh, even in our darkest and worst times, that if we pray, uh, that God will hear our prayers and they're effective. Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, according to scripture. So it's important uh, for us to not cease to pray, uh, but to pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing? Prayerful mind. Prayerful heart. Okay. So it's really more of an attitude than a position. Like, I don't think Paul was, although he may have been forced to be in that position, I don't think he was kneeling like we traditionally pray, uh, but he had his heart and mind obviously on the Lord, and as God brought people to his mind, I believe that's how he, I, I mean, to be in a constant, uh, never-ending prayer from a physical standpoint could be pretty much impossible, but from an attitude and a Humbleness, you know, there, there's a humbleness that when we go to pray, well, prayer makes you humble, just simply the act of prayer. Because it's against our nature to pray. That's why you struggle to pray. That's why I struggle to pray. I'm not immune to that either. Jane and Dwayne and I were talking before uh, church, and I said, I'm so sleepy tonight, I need a shot of caffeine directly into my vein. And uh, Jane was talking about, yeah, and sometimes when I go to pray, I just fall asleep. Well, she's not the only one, is she, right? Prayer is a position of humbleness. It really is. Because the very act of it is saying, I don't have it under control. There's some things that I have need of, or my family have need of, or my friends, or my loved ones. And so I'm going to the only one that I know who can do something about it, right? And so that's that's kind of, you know, an, an act of, uh, of not ceasing to pray. It's a kneeling of our heart and our, uh, our mind to the Lord. We're, we're humbling ourselves. If, if you watch me, you think he never kneels and prays. And I don't too often because I like to walk and pray. And I don't close my eyes very often. If you will watch me when I pray on Sunday morning and I begin to pray a prayer of blessing over the people or maybe I'm opening up in prayer or something like that, I don't close my eyes because but many times as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit will draw my attention to someone and give me a word or, you know, to pray for them. So uh, I don't always close my eyes in prayer. Matter of fact, not too often, honestly. Do a whole lot of walking. Ooh, I was I was fired up Sunday. I was ready to run. So that is our position of prayer. We talked Sunday about 
being in a position to be blessed. And that's important. And that's a receiving position. Uh, and so we can also position ourselves to be in an unceasing prayer by our humbleness and attitude and, and bowing our lives before the Lord. How many of you have just been going about your day and maybe you've been hearing, uh, listening to uh, Christian music or maybe you just read your scripture and you're just kind of meditating on that and the Lord brings somebody to your mind. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here uh, to not cease to pray because the Holy Spirit will do that. He's much more active in our lives than or wants to be much more active in our lives than sometimes we allow uh, him to be. So, I mean, we do get busy, right? We do think about other things, but uh, that's that position that we're talking about. So, here Paul says, I'm mindful of your tears. Now, we don't know exactly what this means, but it could be a reference to the last time that Timothy and Paul saw each other. Right? Uh, it could be uh, that maybe Timothy saw Paul right before he was taken to prison. Or maybe he's talking about another time that Timothy would have been in tears because of something that was going on, right? That, that they're familiar with. So this is, there's familiarity between Paul and Timothy. They did some things together, right? By the way, that's how you know people, right? Is about doing stuff together. You can be an acquaintance of someone, but not really know them. I, I, I'm acquainted with a whole lot of people. I was out uh, at the park on July 4th, and I'm, I recognize a whole lot of faces. And this is not that big of a community. I recognize a whole lot of faces, but to say that I know them is a different story. Paul makes mention of that he is mindful of Timothy's tears, but that he's filled with joy when he calls for remembrance. What? His genuine faith. That's a faith that uh, is, it, it's genuine. It's not hypocritical is what the actual uh, Greek word means there. It's, it's un, unhypocritical. So it's Genuine, it's true. And even though it came or was passed down, how many remember the passing of the baton? This is when I preached that, right? Out to the property. And they get all the way to the back of the baton and somebody dropped it. I heard a clink, 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 you know? Uh, and it was a great illustration because we're not supposed to drop the baton. We're supposed to pass it from one generation onto another, right? Paul is telling Timothy that I'm happy. There is probably nothing that would make me more happy than to see my children or to see those who kind of grew up uh, in this church uh, to continue on or to grow in their faith and to know the Lord, right? I mean, that's exciting. That's fun. Uh, whenever uh, we have vacation Bible school and we see these kids and some of them are you know, repeat, and and you and you see them, and you're like, oh man, I, I, I hope they get a hold of God this week, you know, uh, and grow in their faith. And so uh, that's kind of what Paul is talking about. There's a genuine faith that's in him. It's in Timothy. 
there was wisdom and knowledge passed down to him. But how many knows you have to grab that faith for yourself? Right? Uh, there's an old saying that says that you can't uh, ride, you know, grandma's skirt tail uh, into heaven. You, you, you can't do that. Uh, hopefully she's given you some good knowledge and experience and you saw some things in her, but you have to have the faith for yourself. Grandma or mama's faith won't save you. You have to have faith for yourself in the Lord. So uh, it's important. Uh, when, you, when we look at Timothy's family, uh, he, he's from a mixed family. I see so many mixed families now. Uh, and he's from a mixed family. His family came from the city of Lystra, and Paul had visited that city uh, on uh, his first missionary journey. Paul's mother was Jewish, but his father was a Gentile. And so uh, that was a blended family, right? Uh, they were a blended family. And as far as we know, uh, you know, uh, Timothy's father didn't know about the Lord at all. Uh, we don't hear what happened to him, but I, I believe that Timothy was uh, such a student of the word and such a student of Paul, I believe that probably ultimately his father probably did get saved if he was still alive, right? Uh, so on, it was on Paul's second missionary journey that he came back to Lystra and there he met this young man, Timothy, who had come to Jesus and was devoted to the servant of the Lord. That's in Acts chapter 16. Uh, so you, to see Timothy's life, you kind of have to go back and forth between 1st and 2nd Timothy and the book of Acts because uh, that's what we see. That's where the Acts are, right? That's what's happening in the, in the church. Uh, and so this Timothy was described as having a mother who believed that his father was Greek. In the Roman world, with his father being a Greek, the father would have more than likely been in charge uh, over the whole family. Uh, but something unique happened here in that his mother and his grandmother had a influence. I, I mean, those that we all have the capacity to influence people for Christ, right? Each one of us, especially our family, right? Just to, you know, we're, uh, the proximity, the, the, the relationships, the, all those things that we do together as a family, then we can have influence, uh, and we ought to have influence, amen, uh, upon our children and grandchildren. I'm, I'm just I'm so excited for August the 17th or whatever that is, uh, that that little one comes, uh, because uh, I'm going to have a grandbaby. I'm excited about that. So look at this. He said, I'm persuaded this faith is in you also. Obviously, there was some signs of Timothy having faith, right? Because faith, what does the Bible say about faith? How does it describe faith? Now, faith is the, so faith has got some substance, right? Now, faith is the substance of things Hope for the evidence of things not yet seen, unseen, right? So, but there is some substance to faith. 
you can tell. You ever been around somebody and you just their, their spirit witness to you? You knew immediately that they were a child of God, right? And it's probably that faith in the Lord that's a witness to you, right? Uh, you can see it in their expressions. You can see it in the way they treat people. You can see it uh, in all of those uh, aspects of their life. So uh, Paul told Timothy, I'm persuaded it's in you, this genuine faith, this unhypocritical faith, and this significant faith. If you want to please God, you've got to have faith. And I'm not the one saying that. The Bible does. But without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, so faith is uh, important that we have faith in God. He's coming back, that's right. And he's looking for a people of faith, right? Will they have faith, right? Uh, so look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Therefore, just a little bit of a way to study the Bible. So if you get to this verse 6 and you see the word therefore, you need to know why, why therefore is therefore. You know what therefore is therefore. Uh, it, it's important. So that means that you've got to look back at the preceding scriptures. And Paul is trying to tell Timothy, there's something important about what I just told you. In light of that, Stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. Paul identified something in Timothy, and he said, you've got a gift of God. Not only do you have faith, but you have a gift of God. Uh, and it was given to you. Now, God is the author of all the gifts that we have. I mean, we're being in agreement. Uh, it, the Spirit of God, uh, we have gifts of the Spirit. They come from the Spirit. The Spirit is a part of the Godhead, right? Uh, so the gifts come from an originate from God. There was a transaction, if you will say that, uh, as Paul lays hands upon Timothy to do two things, to recognize the gift that is in him and also uh, is a point of time and faith that he says there's an impartation uh, of these from the Lord. God already had them laid up. They were in store for him. And Paul simply lays hands upon him. And they're imparted to him. And there's a recognition by Paul. That he's special. We all have a gift. Each one of us. I don't say that to make you feel good. It's biblical. It's true. The Holy Spirit actually. Is in charge of. What gift and. How many gifts or. How they're used in your life. The Holy Spirit's in charge of that, right? Uh, so uh, we, we, we see that. And Paul says, stir it up. If you don't use a the gift of the Lord or a gift or many gifts of the Lord and they lie dormant and they're not used, then there's a problem. When you look at this in the Greek, it means to rekindle to rekindle or stir up this fire that's inside of you that God placed in you to use this gift and if you are have a gift then you need to use it right don't wait but use it 
And it's important uh, to do that throughout this 1st and 2nd Timothy. When you read them combined, I believe you'll see or at least come to the conclusion that Timothy was just a wee bit timid. And so Paul's continuing, and, and that's all right, because we all have different personalities, and God uses them all, right? So I'm not um, disparaging Timothy. I'm saying that was just his nature. He was a little bit timid, a little bit concerned. And I, can I tell you that in those times, he had a reason to be timid, uh, because uh, Nero is persecuting the Jews, and he's taking over for Paul because Paul's in prison, the bullseye is probably going to be on him. I can understand why there might be some timidness. But Paul is saying, hey, stir up this gift of God. Use it. Uh, it's valuable for the kingdom of God. And he's encouraging him, not talking bad about him, but encouraging him. You know, so we all need encouragement, right? Each one of us. We got, uh, without being, we need to encourage one another. Right? Uh, we need to uh, it'd be uh, encouraging and, and encouraging one another to be strong and to be bold for the Lord because here is Timothy who's going to be an overseer for the church of Ephesus uh, and he needed courage. Now, I say Timothy was probably a little timid, but when you consider the enormity of what Paul has asked him to do, I can kind of understand that too, right? And this is a big job. Not only is there outside forces like Nero and the Roman government that want to work against Christianity, but now I'm, I'm, I've got to take over for Paul? And big shoes, right, to fill. He may have just been normal and not timid, but may have just been normal and just an overwhelming thing that he's being asked to do for the Lord, right? Now, Paul was a good one to encourage him. Paul loved people, but he also knew how to confront people. Even people who were his equals, uh, people who were positionally at least equal to him, if not more. Uh, like he confronted Peter. Have you read that? Paul confronts Peter and he says, now wait a minute, there's a problem. You're over here eating with the Gentiles until the Jews show up and then you kind of sneak over here and you, and you eat with the, with the Jews because you don't want them to know that you've been associated. He called him out, right? Here's Paul with a I don't want to say a confrontational spirit about him, but he didn't back down a lot, right? Even though he loved people, he didn't back down. So here's this character of Paul that's coming through and saying, hey, uh, stir up this gift that you got in you. Use it and don't back down. Don't be timid. Don't be shy uh, because God's got a call on your life. One of the main commentaries that I use and I didn't go look at all of them. But he said there's 25 different times in 1st and 2nd Timothy that Paul is encouraging Timothy. 25 times. I think we need to be encouraged more than we get encouraged, don't you? <laughs> if that's an indication, right? Uh, we need encouragement. 
And so that, that's important. Uh, Timothy needed to hear uh, what Paul had to say. It says, therefore, I remind you. Anybody ever need to be reminded of stuff? I'm so forgetful sometimes. But he said, stir up the gift which is in you. I'm reminding you to do that. Be bold. Get going. Stir that gift up. Don't neglect it. Put it into action. I don't think we typically purposefully don't use a gift that God gives to us, but sometimes we neglect it. We don't use it boldly and we don't step out into it because we're maybe a little afraid, but also kind of humbled by who am I, right? Uh, to use these gifts of the Lord. And, and Paul is just simply telling him, continue Use the gifts. There's a purpose for your gift. Stir it up. Uh, keep your gift on fire, burning for the Lord. Uh, and God wants to use you. I want you to rekindle. Let's, let's go to verse 7. This is a very, at least in, around here, this is a very quoted quite often verse. Verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is a scripture you probably ought to memorize, honestly. How many times in your life have you been afraid? And I don't mean like afraid of the dark. I'm talking about afraid of real things. Life has hit. COVID's a good example. Sickness, disease, the unknown. Uh, we face fear a lot. So it's important. This is a scripture that, uh, honestly, for me, it's one of my life scriptures. One of my other life scriptures is I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, right? Uh, that's been a lifetime life scripture for me. Uh, but this is one because we all face fears of different things. So your fear might not be one that I'm afraid of, and mine might not be one you're afraid of facing a particular circumstance, but we all have fears. And so it's important for us to know this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Paul knew Timothy. He understood him. He had been around him. He knew that there were some fears that he was facing, and he needed to know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Where can a spirit of fear come from? devil, for sure. He tries to impart that to us, doesn't he? Unknown, yeah. Sometimes uh, even ourself. And sometimes and sometimes we work ourselves into a frenzy and worry about stuff that will never happen. Right? I mean, I don't remember where I saw this, but you know, uh, there was a, somebody had written somewhere on their desk and about worry. Don't worry because, you know, 98% of the things that you worry about never come to pass, right? Uh, so uh, we need to understand that fear does not come from God. The only kind of fear that is a good fear is a fear that, te that, that teaches you not to do something that is dangerous. So for like little ones, if they go to put their hand on the stove and they, and they catch a little, a little heat there, then they learn, and that's a, what we call a healthy fear. 
But these unhealthy fears that we face, they didn't come from God. They're not our natural inclination, right, uh, that God put inside of us. And so it's important that we understand that it didn't come from the Lord. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? Beginning of wisdom, right? And this is not a terrified fear of the Lord, as in I'm constantly afraid that God's going to strike me down or smite me, but it is really that word is more about honor and respect for God's position and who he is. You know, I Honestly, I've met some people that were terrified of God. They did the slightest little thing wrong, and God was going to get them, you know. And, you know, that God's up there with, you know, the lightning bolt. When you make that mistake, you know, he's going to send it down on you. But that's not the kind of fear. Awe, reverence, uh, understanding of God's holiness. I think it's an area that Pentecostals in particular have to be careful of. Uh, because sometimes our services are charismatic, a little wild at times. If, if you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying uh, there is the potential there for it to be loud and a little chaotic, and us not really reverence God like we ought to. I'm not saying we do that too often. Here's also the potential, because I was raised in all this, right? And I was a little kid back on the pew, uh, and when mom and daddy went up front, most of the, they didn't, most time they didn't go up front without us or, or just keep an eye. I mean, my mom taught me how to pray with my eyes open too, because uh, she did that. <laughs> Be like, I'm, I say, I got one eye on you, and I'm praying, you know. <laughs> but the potential is there that in sometimes when the Holy Spirit is moving, I'm not trying to be serious here, but when the Holy Spirit's moving, that if we don't watch it, the kids especially could act up, and that's not a lot, that's not really reverencing what God's doing. So we have to teach that. Now, a baby crying is a baby crying. That's their, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but when they reach an age that they should know how to act in, in a church service, then I think it's upon us. I'm not going to blame the kid. I'm going to blame the parent, right? There is the potential that we would do some irreverent kind of things if we don't watch. Uh, but that's what that that's what that really is about. It's about a, a reverence and an awe of God and understanding that He is God. We're not. He's holy. We only have his righteousness because he bestowed it upon us. Our righteousness as humans is like filthy rags. And so uh, that's what the Bible tells us. And so, you know, that's the kind of, uh, of thing that, that the Lord's talking about there, that we would have a, a fear of the Lord. Like you might have a healthy fear of your father, right? So, and the other thing is that, you know, the Bible tells us to not to fear, even to fear the devil. Because he can't do anything with your spirit, man. He can't. Uh, he can try to oppress you, he can try to depress you, but your spirit, if you're saved, God has, is God over your spirit. But God, 
Bible says to fear God who can not only kill the body, but the soul, right? Uh, so uh, there's, you know, that's that healthy respect and awe of God that I, that I think is important. A couple Sundays ago, I said, it's important when we read the scripture to see what's there and what's not there. And this is one of those scriptures because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love of sound mind. If you take out some of those words, it says, for God has given us power, love, and sound mind. Don't concentrate on the negative about the spirit of fear. Concentrate on what God has given you, right? Uh, turn this thing around, right? Uh, I don't mean to change scripture. I'm saying put the focus and the emphasis on the power and the love and the sound mind that God gives us to defeat fear. Because many times we think about, oh, the devil's trying to take this. He's trying to, well, let him try to do that because God's already given you what, what you need, right? So they're not, those fears are not from God. It's not God that makes you feel fearful. Could be your personality. Some people are more feel fearful than others. It could be a weakness of the flesh. It could be an attack of, of the demonic. But none of it is from God. Just like I preached Sunday, there's power in the words that we say. We should run around speaking defeat and, and negativity and death and, and fear, but we should be running around talking about what God has given to us, which is blessing, right? No, 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 I don't, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fine to recognize what's going on, but there, need, there needs to be a but in your conversation, by God, right? So it's important uh, that we understand that and we speak uh, the positive. We speak and we recognize the power of God comes from his king, right? comes from him. We have all the power that we need. The Holy Spirit's given it to us. We have uh, the love of God. There's a story in the Bible about, and it's actually the night that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And it's interesting the, the way the scripture words it. It says, Jesus having recognized that all authority has been given to him, I'm paraphrasing, that it's all been put under God's hand, and you think he goes out and whoops the devil. He's got all power and authority. What did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. He had the power to love these men who he knew, think about it, were going, one of them was going to totally betray him. They were all going to run in some manner away from him. Uh, they were going to hide. They weren't going to believe every, not yet anyway, not everything that he had told them. And, uh, you know, imagine three and a half years you're teaching these guys, I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to the cross. I mean, he just repeatedly did it throughout uh, all of the New Testament, and they just like, they just lost it, right? Now, I'm human too. I probably would have too. I'm not trying to. But he had the power 
to love them and to wash their feet. And sometimes we think about God's power and we think, and he does have that kind of power. I mean, just come down and demolish and crush and crash and uh, do like he did at Sodom and Gomorrah, rain down fire and brimstone and all that. But here we see the power of love. To love somebody who is hard to love, right? Because of what they've done to you uh, or against you. That's when you know it's God. When God can give you the ability to forgive, not just forgive, but then to love them. Now, you might not subject yourself to what they did to you again, but to love them uh, like God would love, right? You can love somebody who hasn't done you right. It, it, it's a breakthrough. And the power of forgiveness in that is tremendous. It really is. Uh, now, this is a simple story from when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, but I remember being at a church youth camp now, at that time, me and my brother, we would fight like cats and dogs, you know. We loved each other, but we'd fight like cats and dogs, and you better not get on one or the other, because we would both whoop you and turn around and whoop you. You know what I'm saying? So we're at this church camp, and uh, for, for you, I did. I, I said it like that because there's some stuff going on uh, that shouldn't have been going on, but, you know, it just, uh... so this young boy pulls a knife on my brother. Being the older brother and bigger than both of them, you know, I let him have what for, you know. Told him in no uncertain terms, you know, what I was going to do to him if he was to try to do that again, you know. Big brother coming to the rescue. And we go to church that night, and the speaker preached on forgiveness. The next day, I could go and find that boy who had done all wrong. It really was somewhat okay, maybe I went a little bit too far, it was deserved uh, for me to protect him like that, but I forgave him, and I told him that was difficult, very difficult to do. So the next night, the, the, the speaker has a, a salvation call for kids, and he's one of the ones that go up. I believe that that's the power of forgiveness. When we forgive others, then God, I think something happened in that young man's heart. And so there was a change of his character in his, in his heart. I don't know him today. I don't know where he's at, what he's doing, but I believe that was, I know the Spirit convicted me to go and forgive him. And so uh, that, that's, I mean, that's a spiritual breakthrough uh, because it's so easy to just harbinger all those hurts and feelings and animosity and not want to love people like we should. Let's read verse 8. Uh, therefore, remember you got to look at why the therefore is therefore. Uh, therefore, do not be ashamed of two things, the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Uh, so Paul had just been talking about having uh, the spirit of power, love, and sound mind, which is a courage to do what God's called you to do. Now he's telling Timothy to let what God has given him 
this that particular that power of shall not guide him in the way he's thinking. So don't be ashamed of the testimony of, of the Lord. What is the testimony of the Lord? The, the testimony of the Lord is that we uh, have been saved by him, that he came, that he lived a sinless, spotless life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, but he rose again on the third day. And when he did, we uh, are assured of the promise that we'll rise again as well. And so that's the, that's the testimony of the Lord. Uh, don't be ashamed of that, he said. So, I mean, here's Timothy. He's a preacher, right? you you got to keep the main thing the main thing. I may have occasionally not done this, but I can tell you that I strive in every sermon at the end of that sermon to have an altar call and to tell people what Jesus has done for me. It's a conviction of the Lord upon me. Uh, I've had people visit here and tell me, Pastor, I went and visited eight, nine churches. There was not one single altar call. And I'm not trying to brag on myself. I'm just trying to say it's a conviction of the Lord uh, that we share the testimony of what God's done for us. And then Paul's saying, but don't forget me, right? Don't be ashamed of me. It'd be kind of hard to tell people that you're following Paul who's in prison. That doesn't sound real cool. But you're following Paul who's following Christ, right? Who has followed Christ, right? Don't be ashamed. Do you struggle with being ashamed? I think a lot of people do. I really do. And I'm not trying to be hip. Uh, critical when I say that sometimes it's difficult to speak up for the Lord more so than us. They want to fit in. They don't want to stand out. And the part of being a witness is that you stand out. You stand, don't, don't be ashamed. And especially you, Timothy, as a leader in the church and as a pastor of the church, you have to preach it and preach it with power and preach it with authority what God has done for us. I, I don't think Paul got to the end of his life and said, man, if I'd lived a little bit different, I might not have went to jail. I don't think he did that. I think he thought, I, I, well, I know what he thought. I fought my fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith, right? But that's what he says. He's not been ashamed. I'm not saying he never had any moments of shame, being ashamed, but he's not being ashamed here. But there's a scripture that says we basically, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it in a VR version, uh, Brian Roberts version, uh, basically says we love all, we love to share in the power and the glory of the Lord, but not in his sufferings. But sharing in his sufferings is a deeper level of relationship with the Lord. And here, Paul is challenging Timothy to share in his sufferings. Now, he's not saying, come get in jail with me, because then Timothy would be imprisoned and the gospel would be hindered, right? Because somebody's got to get out there preaching, right? Uh, but he's saying, share with me in this. I think we can share with those uh, through prayer, through support, like either financial, because we know that Timothy went and visited him, right? Uh, when he's in prison, if I'm not mistaken, I think he might have even brought him a coat and the writing tablets that they used. 
So he's sharing in those sufferings. He's helping out during that. He's not being imprisoned himself, but yet he's concerned with the plight of Paul. So he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. So share the causes for the gospel. To share that suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. We just said that. The only way to share in the suffering of God uh, of the, for the gospel is by the power that God gives us to do that. We can't do it on our own. Share in, in that according to the power of God. Sometimes the power of God doesn't remove the difficulty. Sometimes it gives us the ability to go through it. And that's, that's the power of God. I'll close with this. So here's Paul in prison writing about the power of God when he's imprisoned by the Roman government. The Roman government may have seemed a lot more real at the time. But now the Roman government is totally gone, but the gospel of Jesus Christ still lives on that Paul preached. Paul's looking at this. He can't see forward, but we can. And what he went through and how he suffered for the kingdom of God and for the gospel's sake, uh, there's a lot of power. Let's do these questions and finish up. So number one, according to verse one, why was Paul an apostle? Because it was God's will, right? Number two, according to chapter four, verse six, what did Paul expect to happen to him soon? Expect him to be executed. Question three, according to verse two, how did Paul describe Timothy? Beloved son. Question four, according to verse three, how often did Paul remember Timothy in his prayers? Night and day, without ceasing. Question five, what dwelt in Timothy that was first in his grandmother and his mother? Genuine, genuine faith, right? And what was Timothy to do with the gift of God, according to verse six? Bear it up. Question seven, according to verse six, how did Timothy receive the gift of God? Laying on of hands. Question eight, according to verse seven, why can Timothy be bold in using the gifts God has given him? Right, or you could say because God has given him power, love, and sound mind. Either way you want to write that, I just wrote it in the positive side. Question nine. According to verse 8, what two things was Timothy not to be ashamed of? 